Hear the word of the Lord with me this morning from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. There is one body. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, peace be with you, church. It is good to be here this morning, and I'm excited to be able to come and share for a few moments with you. Um, As uh, Todd said, my name is Tom, and uh, I am the lead planter pastor at Grace Church. Our church is about 18 months old. Uh, We were commissioned to to plant in Smyrna about two years ago from Providence Baptist Church in Nolensville, where I served on staff since 2008. And and so we're, we're here, and we've been, God's been, been faithfully working through us over the past year and a half. We're seeing people come to know Jesus. We're seeing people come to have a, a new experience of walking with Jesus in our, in our work there, and so we're grateful for that. I, I want to say that I, I feel like, um, even though this is my first time being here on a Sunday morning, uh, my affections for this church are already very deep, um, mainly, of course, of your pastor who's become, like, as Todd said, one of my, I think, one of my closest friends um, that I could have here, particularly here in, there, in this area, and I'm very grateful for him. I know and believe that he's been faithful to you here at Palace Chapel, and Grace, we, are, we should be honored to be able to join them together in worship this morning. Um, so my wife and I, she's always teasing me about my friends and my invisible friends. She said, I'm always going to meet with someone, and I told her about us having our services together. She said, are you guys going to like tag in like wrestlers and everything? And and, and she kind of suggested that we wear spandex and, like, tag in when, me, when he comes in. Um, but uh, I kind of felt like that might not be appropriate for our occasion this morning. Um, but, uh, and, and Palace Chapel, I'm sorry that you had to hear that. Um, Grace Church is too used to that kind of banter over there. So, anyway, we're glad to be here together. My task this morning is simple. We want to talk about, together, me and Todd, together, we want to talk about the walk and the witness of the church from two respective passages. One here I will un- unpack for a few moments from Ephesians 4, and he will come and, and talk about the witness of the church from Acts chapter 13 for a few moments. I want to chiefly work my way through the idea of this um, call to walk. Um, particularly, I, I, drive, uh, I, I draw that out of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner of the world before the Lord, Paul speaking to the Ephesian church, urge you to walk in a manner of the call, worthy of the calling to which you've been called. My focus there this morning, if I had really one um, phrase that I hope that you will walk away with uh, as we leave this place this morning is, is this. There is no witness, what Todd will talk about here in a few moments, without the walk of the church. There is no witness without the walk of the church, and conversely, there is not a walk with the church in the church that doesn't result in the witness of the church if it's done according to Scripture. And so from this passage, what we'll see coming from verse 1 is that there's this kind of this downhill progression, this kind of downstream progression of these things that flow out of this idea of what is the walk of the church. And I've, I've identified three things that I want us to consider just briefly this morning before Todd comes. First is I want us to consider the relational aspects of this walk of the church. Pick up with me there in verses 2 and 3. It says, 
I mean, actually backing up here, it says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And then he goes to this comma and says, with all humility. That's the character, that's the nature, that's the posture of this walk. With humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. And I am eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. In this brief two verses, he unpacks very relational, very relationally strong ideas here. Humility, gentleness, uh, patience, and bearing with one another in love. Let me just kind of speak to them just for, uh, for a moment. Why would Paul talk to his church about humility? Because probably humility is a weak point for most of us, is it not? Amen? And we're not naturally humble. We don't naturally seek the good of other people in our sinful uh, proclivity in our lives. Things When we have been broken by the, the, the power of sin in our life, we, we don't naturally seek the good of other people, do we? We tend to kind of focus in on kind of what our needs are oftentimes. And sometimes that idea within the local church, and Paul knows this, is we can lose this idea of, of humility in the church, to, to, to put aside our own desires, to put aside our own agendas, and to seek the good of the kingdom and the people of the kingdom above our wants, my wants, my preferences for my life and for my church. And so I sacrifice things by being part of the church, by nature. I sacrifice my time. I sacrifice my, 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 my rest sometimes so that I can invest in other people's lives. I sacrifice my preferences. When you get a gathering of people together, everyone's got an opinion about how this thing should go, right? But by, me, by nature of me coming into this place, I, I lay all that down and say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is greater than all of those things. The church is not a gathering of individuals. The church is a family working out our mess when the power of the Spirit. That's what the church by nature is. It's not a people, uh, a group, like I said, a group of individuals who come here and I can still hold on to a certain aspect of myself when in reality God calls us into the church so that we will begin to surrender our individuality to the greater good of his kingdom and his kingdom work. He goes on and says, gentle, be gentle with one another. Well, if we're not humble, then we're obviously probably not very gentle at times either, especially when we meet people who with whom we disagree. I mean, and if there's no place on earth where more disagreement can begin to take shape than in the local church. Unfortunately, you hear it all said, said many times, I'm sure you've heard it said before, that Sunday mornings are sometimes the most segregated hour on, uh, of the week in the United States. But not just beyond race and culture, but even beyond just age demographics. And sometimes within just preferences and, and just station of life. And, and so when we meet people... We've got to work it out with gentleness. God calls his people to be humble and gentle, to not be blunt instruments. That's a word that I've, I've come to believe is, has characterized my life at times, to be a blunt instrument with other people is not a good thing. To always be correcting other people all the time without humility and always thinking it's always someone else's problem to fix and not my own, then I'm not really having a humble posture, a gentle posture with other people. And so it's very easy for us to strong-arm people into our own ways, isn't it? It's, it's very easy for us as a church to, to come in here and still act like it's my way or the highway, and then we're going to bend and twist people to our own agendas. Um, he says, be humble, be gentle, be patient. Well, we all know that patience is a virtue that many of us do not have, don't we? We're just not patient people. We want what we want, and we want it now. And 
And, and, and yet sometimes, and I can say this as a leader, that, that I, if we're not careful, I can treat people like a project. That they've got to be fixed. And if they're not fixed and not fixed on my time frame, then, then the work of the God is not really working. But that's not the call of the church. Jesus gathers a beloved and dear children to himself, and he walks with us patiently as we work out our mess with the hope and the power of the gospel. See, the church is messy. I don't know if you figured that out yet or not. But if, you, have you, if you're your first time in the church, even this morning, or maybe you're recent to the church, you're going to realize that that's exactly what this place is. It's a, it's a group of messy people. People who have really uh, dark stories and dark pasts at times. And, and people don't change overnight, but God does change us in time according to his own plan and his own purposes. And when we, when we remember that, we become more patient with one another, recognizing it's not us that changes each other. It's grace in us that changes each other. It's, it's, it's grace is sufficient, and so then, therefore, the people of God are humble, they're gentle, and they're patient. And then, therefore, the result will be they'll bear up one another in love. See, the only way we can really love one another is if these other things are beginning to take shape in our life, isn't it? We live to, to, to love one another only because the kind of love that, that Paul's talking about here in these passages, in these verses, is, is, is uncommon. The kind of love that he's talking about here is not natural because we're selfish. We're broken. I mean, Adam and Eve sought their own way, and it's been going downhill ever since. Cain looked at and responded to God when he was asking where Abel was, and he says, am I my brother's keeper? And many of us, if we're not careful, because of sin, can live just like that. But the church is called to an uncommon reflection and display of love. That's rooted in humility and gentleness and patience. But all of that sounds great, but the problem becomes, how do we do it? Well, that's where he goes into chapter, I mean, verse 4 here. Look with me here. That's our second point. He says, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all, and in all. The source of the transformation that Paul talks about, this relational walk that you and I are called to as, as an uncommon people, is not based on ideology. It's not based on sociology. It's not based on uh, genealogy. It's not based on any of those things. It's based on theology. It's based on a theology of God and who he is and how he's working, himself, working and revealing himself in the world. And therefore, he says the church can only be these things, flowing downhill from these things, if we are one. Now, we're two churches in here in this place this morning. And we will leave here and we'll go back to our works and, and you'll stay here. Palace Chapel continue to be faithful to uh, Walter Hill and, and the northern Rutherford County area. And we'll go back to keep working our, tending the field that God has given us in, in Smyrna and Laverne and, and whatnot over on that side. But we'll still be one body when we leave here. We'll still be here, and we need to be championing one another for the work that we've been called to do. We're one body, meaning one universal church. Don't get so caught up, and we need to be careful we don't get caught up in our individuality and our autonomy, which is, which is a good thing because we need to reflect God in our local communities. But we're one universal church, not just individual churches as well. We're one hope. 
This one body is rooted in one hope, the unmerited grace of God to undeserving people. One body, one hope with one Lord, that this is only possible through the work, person and work of Jesus alone. One faith, the people who, who, who put their trust in his work, not their work, his work alone. Marked by one baptism, a visible testimony that shows that the, of the inward work of God in our lives through the agency of the Holy Spirit. And of course, one God and Father for one glory alone. One church that does all these things is reminded that if, there, if, if it's even possible that sinners can be humble. If it's even possible that sinners can be patient and can be gentle and can bear with one another love. It has to be rooted in one theological proposition that Jesus saves ultimately. But it doesn't end there because Paul wants us to say this and then we'll move on to the witness aspect of our time together. Because he says, it's great to know that you're one body, one, one, one truth, Jesus saves, and then you are then, that, the, the result of that is, of course, a humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with another in love, with one another in love. But the church must work hard to intentionally put that into practice. And I use the word intentional organization here. Verses 9 through 16, I'll read them really briefly. It says in this, in, in, I'm sorry, I actually will pick up um, in verse uh, 11, excuse me. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of faith and of the, and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine." by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are able to grow up in every way into him who is the head in Christ, from whom the whole body, joined together, held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in, what's that word? Love. So the church needs a relational aspect of its life. This, this, this relational walk, it needs a theological foundation, but it also needs to make sure that it's properly ordered so that it can actually accomplish those things. And I see two things in these last two verses that, that I wanted to just most quickly. One is it has to be organized around good leadership, right? I mean, you have to have people who are, uh, I think, apostolic. Now, I'm not talking about capital A, you know, Peter, Paul, those kind of apostles. I'm talking about those people who are called to send and go and keep the pulse of the church on the mission of God. You need those kind of people in your, in your, in your churches, in our churches, who will constantly remind us of what we're called to and where we're going. We need prophets, people who speak with conviction the truths of God to draw people to faith and repentance. We need people in our churches who are evangelists, who keep helping the church, this missionary agency called the church, to be faithful to sharing the gospel. We need shepherds who care for the sheep, because sheep are messy and broken. And we need teachers who instruct and train and equip the church for sound theology and sound doctrine and discipleship. And friends, this might sound like this is all about the pastor, but the reality is I have not met one pastor who ever, who fulfills all these aspects of leadership. This comes down to the fact that, that people in every church need to be starting fulfilling these various roles within the local church. To be faithful to what God has called us to do. 
But it's not that we just need to organize ourselves around the right good leadership. It also says, for what purpose? To grow up. What good is a church that doesn't grow up? What good is a church that doesn't have a, have a desire to, 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 to become all that Christ wants it to be for its respective communities? An Ephesians 4 church is a growing up church. A non-Ephesians 4 church is one that gathers to hear the God, word of God but has no intention of ever putting it into practice. A non-Ephesians 4 church is one that is okay with everything as long as my needs and my desires are being met through the local church. But a truly Ephesians 4 church, a truly Ephesians 4 church understands that their walk, goes back to my original statement, results in a witness. That their walk matters for their witness to the world. Where there is no walk, there is no witness. Todd, come and tell us about our witness. Here, all right. Now, as he said and quoted from Ephesians chapter 4, I'll read it one more time, and then you can turn over to Acts. We'll be in Acts uh, chapter 13. He said this. This is what Tom said. This is what uh, Paul says. He says, Uh, He urges us, the church, to walk in a manner worthy of our call. So when we begin to walk in that worthy calling, we will have a witness. And we need to be a witness in this lost and dying world. It's what he tells us in Acts chapter 1. Turn to Acts chapter 1 before we get to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 1, this is what he says. Uh, This is what Jesus says to those who are left. When he makes his ascension, he says this right before he ascends into heaven. He says this in verse 8, but you, the church, you, the people of God, will receive the power of the Holy Spirit. That's when we walk in a manner worthy of the call, we have the Holy Spirit. It's only by the Holy Spirit can we even walk a manner of the call he's placed on our lives. And then he says this, when you've received that Holy Spirit, and it's come upon you, you will be what? My witness. And where will you be his witness? Where will we be his witness? He says first to Jerusalem and then to all of Judea and all of Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so God is saying to us, church, both Grace and Powell's Chapel and the universal churches, walk in a manner so that we can be a witness to where God sends us. But it starts with what? He just spoke on. You see, it it doesn't matter about our witness if we don't have a walk worthy of our call. Amen? And so I want to look real briefly this morning on three things of what would it look like for us really to live out our witness. How do we do this thing called the witness? Because it's in all of us. God has called all of us to this. Every single believer in the room has been called to be his witness. So you can't escape that call. You are called to be his witness. And so it's going to look this way. Turn to uh, Acts chapter 13. Just a a, a brief uh, synopsis of where this book has been headed. Acts chapter 1 through 12 has been focusing primarily on the Jewish believer. So the first 12 chapters of Acts are about the, the Jew 
And now in 13, the, the writer, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, hey, it's not just the Jewish thing. It's now also a Gentile thing. That's why you and I are here. Unless you're Jewish, and I don't know if any of us are Jewish, but we're here because of chapter 13. We're here because there are some faithful men that were a witness in a Gentile world. We are Gentiles. And so what does it look like for us to be witnesses? He tells us. I'll read the the three verses and then uh, three points and then we'll be done. It says this, and now there was in the church of, of Antioch. Antioch, this was the first real established church of the New Testament. So this is, you can kind of say, this is kind of, kind of the, the, the cornerstone of all of their churches here in Antioch. And so he says, there, there were in the church of Antioch some prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, a man, a, a friend of, of Herod's, and Paul, or Saul, or Paul. It says this, while they were worshiping, the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said to the church, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So three things that we see in this short text. To be a great witness for the Lord, we must be great members of a church. You see, those men were members of a local congregation. See, God is very concerned about membership of a local church. Because in the local church is how we grow in our faith with the Lord Jesus. And and so there's so many people nowadays that have no membership of a church. They just kind of wander to and fro. They they just kind of plug in here, plug in there, pull out, go somewhere else. But what God is saying, the first order of witness is to belong to. To God's body and to be godly you look at those men that he lists you look at all the characteristics of these men two in particular Barnabas and Paul they were godly men they were godly individuals but Barnabas was a great encourager in the church of Antioch and we we could spend two three four weeks talking about the ministry of Saul Paul He was a godly man, probably the greatest missionary this world has ever seen. And so first and foremost, I've got to ask myself the question. You must ask yourself the question. Am I part of a local congregation? And am I maturing in my walk with the Lord? Would it be said about you this morning? Man, that is a godly man. That is a godly woman. That happens in the local church. I was thinking about this as I was studying this. When when he goes on to say this, the next one is this. There must be a godly ministry or a godly worship. You you see, what he says is this, while they were worshiping the Lord, or another translation says this, while they were ministering to the Lord. That is so important. Highlight that in your Bibles. Catch who they were doing the worship and ministry to, the Lord. You see, these men, these godly people, were not ministering to the church. They were ministering to the Lord. Therefore, it's what uh, Tom just said. They put all their preferences aside. 
Because they weren't concerned about ministering to you. They were concerned about ministering to the Lord. You see, what happens as a church, if we get concerned about ministering to one another, then we get caught in the rat race of all of your preferences. And I'll get bogged down as a pastor. Man, am I, am I meeting all the preferences of the church? Or am I not stepping on toes that need to be stepped on? Or am I stepping on it too hard? Or are we doing a smoke and, and, and a show? No, these men were dedicated to a godly ministry. You see, as a church, as a church, we must have one focus and one focus only, the worship of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, you can see, I was, uh, saw this last week. There's a church in Texas. In two years, uh, at first I was like, man, that's, that's amazing. Two years, they've grown from none to nine thousand people i thought wow that's amazing so i went online to see the guy teach and i was like wow that's amazing and i don't mean in a good way he was a stand-up comedian for the first 42 minutes of his message i thought no wonder nine thousand people are going there because it was all about him it was all about his personality. It was all about how he could get people to laugh at him. You see, he was the focus of the worship. And so I know how to draw a crowd. Tom knows how to draw a crowd. How do I know that? Because I used to do that as a youth pastor. You play some stupid games, some messy games, and do some things that I would never do again, you'll draw a crowd. It's easy to draw a crowd. It's very difficult to grow God's people. It's very difficult because we, the people, are bent towards sin. I was asking someone today, how's your heart? And he said, still wicked. I was like, yep, mine too. Apart from the Holy Spirit. Apart from the Holy Spirit. So we must be godly people that live on a godly worship we must come here every week at here at Powell's chapel at grace for a purpose and the purpose is not to entertain ourselves the purpose we come is to glorify a holy god you see that in that passage why they were worshiping the lord and fasting the holy spirit says this you see i believe that they wouldn't be able to hear the holy spirit if they did not have a godly worship which sends us to the last point we must have a godly mission. And what is the mission of the church? What is our witness of the church? It says this, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. What's the work that God's called them? What's the mission that God's called these two men? You, you see, if you think about Paul and you think about Barnabas, you think that local church wanted to get rid, rid of those two men? I mean, they were the studs in the church. Paul, let, let me say his name again. Paul was sitting where you were sitting. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit, because they're focused on God, says, I want you to take Paul, and I want you to take Barnabas, and I want you to take them and send them out of your church. You see, as a church, I'd say, oh, no, 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 no. That's Paul, man. 
We can't do that. Our numbers will decrease. We won't be as popular. We won't have the encourager and Barnabas. No, 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 no. But they were godly men and worshiped the holy God and they could hear from the Lord. And so they stuck on mission. They didn't stick on their preferences. If there's ever a preference in the church, I'd prefer not getting rid of Paul. Like he'd be the last guy I'd choose from the audience to say, hey, you go. I'd say, no, nah, man, Paul, you sit here. We'll grow this place and, and, and we'll, we'll, send, uh, uh, we'll send little Timothy along the way. He'll be all right. Because we won't lose people if Timothy leaves. We'll lose a lot of people if Paul leaves. But what, did it, what does it say? They had a godly mission, and their mission was what? To be set apart to the work to which they were called. And what's the work? To bring a repentive gospel to the Gentiles. That was the work of Paul, and that was the work of Barnabas. Their whole work was to take the message of Jesus Christ to a people that had never heard the gospel. And so what did they do? They fasted, and they prayed, and they laid hands on those two men, and then what does it say? The mission is this, and they sent them out. And they being sent out from that church in Antioch is the reason that you and I get to sit in this church today. Because the people of God were godly people. They worshiped a holy God, and they acted in straight obedience. That's why you and I, Gentiles, are here at Grace and Pals Chapel. And I wonder what it would be like for us churches, the one church, to be godly people that focus on the Lord and to continue to send people all over the world to go back to what he said. Flip back over to Acts chapter 1. But you, the church, will receive power. Catch that. Power from who? The Holy Spirit. If you're a believer here this morning, you have the Holy Spirit. You have that same power that Paul and Barnabas did. To what? To be my witness. To be his witness, church. It comes out of the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, the thing I'm so grateful for about this and about Grace, I can speak uh, about this to you, Grace. You have a very godly leader. And you have very godly leaders in your church. And you have a man that's committed to bringing glory to God in all that y'all do. And he's stuck on one mission and one mission only. That is to plant churches all over Rutherford County. I said it at the beginning, I'll say it again. There's over 300,000 people just here in Rutherford County, that doesn't include Middle Tennessee. It's going to take a lot more churches than Grace and Powell's Chapel to reach 300,000 people. And it's going to take godly men and godly women that are stick to a godly worship, that stick on a godly mission. Here's what I'm going to ask us to do this morning, Powell's Chapel. I'm going to ask us to gather around the people of Grace. You see, we get to send them out. They're not going to come here next week. But we, Powell's Chapel, get to send them back to a lost community to reach that community with Jesus Christ. And so we're going to do what the church did to Paul and Barnabas. We're going to do what he says 
what it says. We're going to lay our hands on them, and I'm going to lead us through prayer to pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to rest on this church. Because we, let me say this again, Powell's Chapel, we need this church to succeed. If this church doesn't succeed, then we, Powell's Chapel, fail with them. Because God desperately wants to use us, a church of 140 years, to bless a church of two years. God wants to do that. And so the way we get to do that this morning is to lay our hands and pray for them. Because again, it's going to take all of God's people to reach God's people. We will not be able to reach that community. They are there. God sent them there to reach that community. So that every man, woman, and child within a five-mile radius of that church will hear and see and ultimately respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But church, Powell's Chapel, I don't want you to want us to pray this morning for them. I want you to write in your Bible that we, over the next 30 days, will pray every day that Tom and this church succeeds because we need that church to succeed. And it's going to rest on us, an older generation of people, to bring up a younger generation of people. So, uh, Grace, if you would just stand for a moment. Powell's Chapel, as you look around, if you would gather around the people of Grace and put your hands on them, and we're going to pray over them. 